What's up, gamers? Welcome to Level 99 RPG Talk. As always, I am your host, Philip. Remember, this is your RPG podcast brought to you by Vault RPG that releases each and every Thursday. Only sometimes it doesn't. And it's the show where I dive deep into the greatest genre in gaming. This week on the podcast, I have a very, very special guest, Michaela from obelisk.co, a gaming website, gaming journalist website, will be on the show in just a few moments. No limit break this week. Instead, I will. I do want to talk about what I have been playing, and uh, it is a game that is very, very special. If you follow me over on SwitchRPG.com, where I am a staff writer, you will know that I reviewed Super Daryl Deluxe for the website, and I really, really, really dig that game. I played it on the PS4, even though I was reviewing it for the Switch. The Switch codes, thanks to Nintendo were delayed so I got I picked up the PS4 version. The thing is the game is not resource heavy, so there really should not be much of a difference in performance if at all. And that's the only thing that I think would be a major difference between the versions. Uh you know, I mean the the actual game itself like I said, it's just not resource heavy. It has hand-drawn art style it's not simplistic but it does lend itself i think to platforms and to machines that don't have a lot of raw power so let's talk a little bit about super daryl deluxe shall we like i said i really like this game i love this game in fact uh, i I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit not overly gushing about it, but I got to tell you, I've had a lot of fun playing Super Daryl Deluxe. To me, the art style is phenomenal. It's eye-catching immediately. It's unique when you see it on the store. As you're scrolling through, it pops out because there's very few things out there, if any, just like it. It is all its own. And then whenever you actually dive into the game, there's so much to love about it. From the writing, to the gameplay mechanics, to the game design, Dan and Gary over at Dan and Gary Games have really put together what I believe is an independent masterpiece. And I don't say that lightly. I think that the writing in this game is some of the tightest and most well-developed well-written um it's one of the most well-written games that i've played in a very long time and what i mean by that is that every character that you speak to and there are a lot of characters to talk to a lot of npcs to talk to in fact that is one thing that the game really excels at is encouraging you and pushing you towards exploring the school quote-unquote the world by talking to your friends leveling up your uh, your your social status, your reputation by talking to other people. So anyway, yes, the dialogue from them is spot on. Every NPC feels like they have a personality. 
It doesn't feel cookie cutter from one to another. You don't get the same stock line from one character to another. When you talk to them, you get a little piece of a story, a little piece of the character. Right. And it makes sense within the world. It makes everything makes sense within the school day. I'll I'll be a very weird school day, but the school day that they're going through and every character fits in some way in the social puzzle you get your social structures, you get your cool kids, your not cool kids, your nerds, your music geeks, your football geeks, you know, so everything familiar about high school is there. Everything familiar about like watching a movie or a TV show about high school with all the drama is there in this game. There just happens to be portals and interdimensional rifts and everything like that with monsters and aliens and Napoleon and, and Beethoven and Andy Warhol, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's wacky. It's out of left field and it works and the writing makes it all happen. So you've got the dialogue. Yes. Every time you call talk to a character, it feels consistent. It feels right. It feels good. It, it It's funny. But then you hop into a menu and you read the descriptions of items and skills and you find yourself chuckling. You're watching the cutscenes. You're reading what is taking place. You're chuckling. You're reading the newspaper clippings that are all over the place, and you're chuckling. You see the uh, all of the the posters on the lockers and above the water fountain, and on in the hallways, and in trophy cases, and you're laughing because so much about this game is funny because so much about this game is ridiculous. But it's not just ridiculous, it's it's grounded in a way that's, that's really funny to think about. Because at the same time that it's wacky and out there, it's so grounded and, it, and it's so, built on such a good foundation of solid writing. It's funny without even really trying to be. So, I mean, that's, that's really hard to do. So, from... A writer playing this game as a writer, I just hats off to the guys who put this script together. Just super, super bravo. Now, the writing is one thing, but then the moment-to-moment gameplay is another, right? So you've got to have you got to have fun while playing a game. It can have a great story, sure, but you've got to be able to have fun. And Super Daryl Deluxe delivers on that front as well. Because as you're moving around the school, there's so much to do. There's the main quest, sure. But there's all the elements of exploring the different hallways and, and the different passageways and, and the different air ducts and the different worlds that you go to through the portals, right? And, and, and in addition to the main quest, there are side quests. And the thing about the side quests is, in a way they add to flesh out the world. They're there to flesh out the world. And if you know anything about me, you know that I am very particular about side quests because I I feel like so many games get side quests wrong. They're just these fetch things or these things to fill content or these things for you to just do to to fill out a a checklist. But the quests here in Super Daryl Deluxe are not simple fetch quest or simple just content filler but every time you talk to a person to receive a quest you're getting a little p 
piece, a little, uh, a little bit of flavor, a little piece of the world or the universe. And you're rewarded through that way, but you're also rewarded through XP and you're rewarded through, uh, your like social points and you're, you're rewarded by unlocking new quests or unlocking new areas or as you unlock areas or you complete the main quest, you're unlocking more side content and that side content gives you experience. Like I said, which you can use to, you know, your character will level up. And as you level up, there is a, there's a skill system in there because once again, if we're talking about moment to moment gameplay, combat's got to be fun in moment to moment. And the combat is fun. It's not mindless. You're not just button mashing because you can't because each of your, each of your buttons on your controller are linked to a skill and those skills have cooldowns. So you really have to you really have to balance your rotation. You have to, you have to hit it with a rhythm. You have to time everything. Uh, I mean, not in a, not in a, like a rhythm game sense. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying like, you have to manage those cooldowns. So if you want to be the most efficient, you have to make sure that, you know, you're not skilling too fast or, or, or too slow or, you know, once you get sort of a rotation down, don't break that rotation. All the while you've got, you know, you can dodge and, or I mean, you can slide out of the way. There's a there's a dash feature or you can jump out of the way. So there's some there's some depth there to a combat system that going in, I really didn't think was going to be there. So and the thing is for you know the first few minutes of the game I was really struggling with the combat but I was really encouraged because I was like well there's actually room for me to grow in this and so I, I was really digging it and as soon as I sort of got the hang of it it just really fit it was really fun so yes there's a there's a semi-deep combat system but you can upon leveling you can obtain new skills but you don't obtain skills through money. You actually obtain them through textbooks, which you collect throughout the game because you work as a textbook collector agent, right? You work for this little business, this little student run business that adds to the humor of the game. So you're collecting these textbooks for this business. You're getting a cut. So that is how you buy skills. It's a separate currency. Then you upgrade your skills using your skill experience, which you obtain at the same time that you you get your actual experience. Now, you can actually transfer textbooks into skill experience if you would like to upgrade, if you'd like to get a boost toward that SXP to upgrade skills. So like you're balancing a currency between obtaining new skills and upgrading old ones. So all the things just fit and there's, there's an armor system and a weapon system and there's a buy and sell system with vendors and, and, and there's just so much to do and you're rewarded in small ways in all of it. And on top of that, there's just a really good story and it's just really fun and it's wacky and it's interesting and it sounds great too. The music's phenomenal. I mean, when have you got, whenever you've got, Beethoven in the mix. Whenever you've got Beethoven as 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 an NPC and one time a, a party member, I mean the music's got to be great, right? So anyway, 
That's Super Daryl Deluxe. You can check out my review over at switchrpg.com. You can also pick it up on the eShop, also on PS4, possibly on Xbox, and on Steam. So, yeah, Super Daryl Deluxe. Go check it out. Please do yourself a favor. Go check it out. At least go watch the trailer. See what you're getting into. Go peruse the site. The thing is, these guys, they are the brand. And if you listen to them, if you look at their Twitter, if you look at their website, if you look at their Facebook page, you'll kind of see the tone and the humor style that you'll be getting into in the game. Because I just really love that they put themselves in it in a way that, I mean, like they just poured their, their humor into it. So they're basically living the tone that you're going to be seeing in the game. All right, so go check out Super Daryl Deluxe. I am not going to take up any more time, so let's go ahead and dive into my interview with Michaela from Obelisk. All right, and I have uh, with me today is Michaela from Obelisk.com. CEO. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, Michaela, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. So to start off, I just kind of want to ask, what do you do officially uh, at Obelisk? Officially, I'm a contributor, so I get to really just drive my own content. Um, and we collaborate online and, with the editor for the site. His name's Mo. And he kind of just lets us submit articles. Um, we kind of focus more on editorials, although I have delved into reviews as well. So, Excellent. How, about how long have you been working with that site? Uh, since about October. Okay, okay. How did you sort of fall into that position? Because like, I, like I, I told you a few minutes ago, I had never heard of Obelisk um, until I came across it on Twitter. So how did you hear about it and sort of get involved? Same way, really. I found them on Twitter. Um, they followed me actually, and I went to their page and they want the pinned tweet at the time was, you know, a call for writers. So I filled out an application and I was lucky enough to hear a response back. So oh, that's fantastic. Uh, so do you actually, do you have other writing experience in the video game industry? No, not in the video game industry. Um, I have a definite writing background though, but sort of what 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 is, what is your background in as far as writing goes so i was an english major um and i specialized in victorian studies so i wrote and defended papers um at a couple different universities and then uh i went on to become a marketing copywriter writing online advertising spots for business to business technology i also have a background in fiction and writing tutoring <laughs> holy moly uh that's, that's pretty cool that's pretty cool i also have a background as an English major. Um, I did English lit for my undergrad, and uh, and then I actually went communications for my uh, my masters. I actually work as a writing tuner right now. So awesome, <laughs> awesome. Up, yeah. Uh, where did where did you go to school? Uh, Saint Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Have you been? Did you write before college, or uh, is that sort of whenever you got you know sort of your break into sort of the writing world? Uh, I definitely wrote a lot before college. I started to become passionate about writing really when I was uh, in high school, uh, but I was more geared towards fiction and poetry at that time. Um, 
I didn't really discover like more article writing, nonfiction writing until I took um, a bunch of different essay based and journalism courses in college. Sweet. So uh, do you read a lot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The biggest thing in my room is a bookshelf. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, who's, who's sort of your go to author right now? Oh, I read a lot of Ken Follett. I like a lot of historic fiction. Okay. Okay. All right. That's a genre I, I don't really delve into. So mm-hmm. excellent. All right. So let's talk about some, uh, let's talk about some, some gaming a little bit for you. What's sort of your first significant gaming memory? I mean, if I really had to pick one, it's definitely not my very first gaming memory, but I remember when I was in about sixth grade, my friend introduced me to the beginning of the end. He gave me um, a Game Boy Advanced copy of a combo game for Final Fantasy 1 and Final Fantasy 2 along with a walkthrough guide and I remember thinking that was the coolest thing I had ever seen and then sitting down and playing all the way through the first game immediately. So FF1 and 2? Yep. Ah, so FF1, I I love FF1. I played it originally on the PSP, I think. Um, but I haven't I haven't got I haven't gotten into uh Final Fantasy 2. I've played probably maybe 10 hours of it. But I mean, how do, how do you, what are your feelings on on two? I know two is not a fan favorite uh, in general with the franchise, but I really liked it. Um, I also it was the first time where I kind of it, it's not quite a new game plus model, but if you beat FF two, um, you get to play. Um, I think it's called like Souls of Rebirth or something, where you get to play an extra added bit to the story as all the characters who passed away in your party. What? Yeah. What? Okay, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, for me, and I know, uh, I guess probably the biggest complaint with the game was uh, the combat system for me seemed a little backwards, like the way that you level it up. And uh, I know I just didn't grasp it, so that kind of hurt my my perspective of it. Yeah. But uh, awesome. So um, now you said this is not really your first uh, gaming memory, um, and I don't know if this question is going to have a similar answer or not, but. For me, I gamed for a number of years before gaming sort of shifted from just being sort of a fun thing to, all right, I'm really passionate about it. Uh, for me, that was whenever I played Final Fantasy X for the first time because uh, I had played like some N64 stuff, but I missed like the really cool N64 games. Like I missed Zelda on, on the N64 and everything. And so for me, gaming... Uh, was fun, but I not like had a big story experience. And then Final Fantasy X came around, and that's when the shift from fun to like ah passionate because games can give me like a really deep, complex story. Uh, so was there sort of a moment for you where that happened when it went kind of from fun to wow, like games are you know as as good as like books and movies and TV. Um, I think, so, FF10, great moment, that is actually, that's my favorite game of all time, um, but I don't think I understood what I had with FF10 until much later, until I probably went back and played it when I was a little bit older, uh, for, like, a second or a third time, even, uh, but I think the, the click moment for me might have been Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh, oh, yeah, what was it about Kingdom Hearts 2 that really spoke to you? I think it was just, so I really enjoyed Kingdom Hearts 1, but I was really young when it came out. 
I was a little bit older when Kingdom Hearts 2 came out, um, and I think it was the story. And the fact that the story was as viable in the video game medium as it would have been in, like, a movie or an anime or something like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And, yeah, because KH2... That I mean, to me, KH two is sort of legendary. I, I think I actually like KH one better, just from like a nostalgia standpoint, just because it like sort of meant so much to me. But man, KH two, that story, uh, just had my jaw drop the entire time. Um, so FF ten, um, you played other FFs before ten, right? Or yes. did you? Yeah. Okay. FF one was my first FF. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. For me, I, I kind of understand because you said you didn't really know what you had until you kind of went back later. I, I'm in a very similar boat because FF10 was my first Final Fantasy and my mm-hmm. first JRPG. So, um, like, I, I didn't know just how good I had it as far as storytelling and, or, well, graphics, really, you know, graphics and, and audio. And I was actually talking to somebody the other day who, played them in order so he was like yeah i mean the jump from nine to ten was just monumental and i was like ah i kind of wish that i had had that experience but still ff10 holds a very dear place in my heart definitely definitely ff10 you said is your favorite game what is it about 10 that makes it your favorite uh a whole combination of things uh first of all ff10 the story, uh, the characters, the, the whole cast, like it was a very diverse cast in the party. Um, and I really liked watching the love story as kind of ridiculous as it was at sometimes between Titus and Yuna. And I say Titus, I don't say Titus. I know Titus <laughs> is probably more correct. Um, but, uh, first of all, Oren was the coolest person I had oh, ever seen at that point in my life. Oh, he may still be. <laughs> yeah, he might be. And uh, I, I also really grew up thinking Lulu was really cool. Um, and I, the combat mechanics for the time uh, really, really jived. It was very good turn-based. I know random encounters are not everybody's favorite, especially that's really kind of fallen out of favor nowadays. Um, even though turn-based is stuck around, random encounter systems have kind of fallen uh, to the wayside. But a lot of people say, like, oh, Final Fantasy X, it's a very linear game but it's a wide linearity there's you can get off the critical path there's all this hidden stuff to find i remember getting all of their like legendary weapons with the sigils and the crests and all that stuff and that stupid chocobo race you have to get zero 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 seconds on which is okay okay, which one is your least favorite is it the chocobo race uh not the thunderbolts man the thunderbolts Okay, okay okay yeah yeah, because like I I don't know I don't know it's like what mood I'm in because like if I really think about it honestly the butterflies suck so much too yeah. or maybe I maybe I was just bad at it but yeah um the thunderbolt that is a test of will mm-hmm. um yeah. what 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 do you think about Waka do you Wa- like Waka um I think I liked him more when I was younger. And then I grew older, and I kind of read more into his lines. Like, eh, I don't know. And I, he's, his face is horrible in FF 10-2. 10-2, he just looks weird. The animation is off. 
Um, I like that he's upbeat. He's kind of like a dad character almost. Uh, eventually, he obviously becomes a father. But the weird race thing with him and the Albed was kind of off-putting right. for a while. I, for some reason, and like in recent years, I've kind of had to like think back and like, why why did I think this? I I've just never liked Walk. I've had this it sort of not logical dislike toward walking and i'm not sure why i it may have been honestly uh because when i was younger like you've got Oren, who's like super cool and he's got mm-hmm. this awesome sword you got titus with the cool sword and then waka's there throwing a ball around and that may have been <laughs> that honestly may have been it you know but yep. but recently i'm like why did i hate waka but i'm glad to know you know he's not someone else's favorite no um yeah, but i mean it's just hard to beat Oren. It is. It is. And then when Oren appeared in KH2, that might have been the moment. That might have been it. <laughs> I I was about to I was about to ask you about his appearance in KH2. I thought that was so cool and really well done. Yeah. I actually even more so than my experience of that the first time, I recently watched a let's play from my favorite Final Fantasy YouTuber of him playing Kingdom Hearts for the first time and wa- watching him watch that scene was the most gratifying thing I think I've ever seen. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, yes. Um I actually have I actually have not jumped into Final Fantasy X too. Is that well, a, is that a travesty? It's not for everybody. It is okay. not for everybody. It is a very short game though, so it's 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 a quick one to take out of your backlog. Okay, okay. I I've heard I've heard the the battle system in it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, the battle system I think is probably the best part. Um, it is fan servicey. If you go for a hundred percent completion, you get the whole, you know, perfect ending business. But, um, I don't know. I think the combat's fun, fun enough to justify the experience, even if you don't like the story. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So I know that you write, it seems like you write a, a good bit about RPGs. Uh, so just sort of thinking for a second, uh, what makes you sort of gravitate toward that genre? Uh, well, I've always been knee-deep in RPGs. My first two franchises really were Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts. I would play other games, but those are the ones that I always followed. And I think it is it comes down to story and character first, um, because it's a really good medium for developing both of those things. Um, you know, and then the, the another component of it is the challenge that they can present, whether it's turn-based, hack-and-slash, or Soulsborne-y. Uh, it's... If it's if every time I would progress far enough to unlock a cutscene, it almost felt like a reward, uh, a reward system. I just always look forward to you know if the game. Not all RPGs have good stories, especially nowadays. I think it's becoming a progressively bigger and bigger issue, especially with open world games. It can be hard to maintain a storyline. Um, but I think that's you know I felt like I was always playing in a movie that I was the star of. So I think that's probably where my childhood passion for these games came from. I'm so glad to hear someone else um, sort of put so much of an emphasis on character and story because for me that is definitely why the RPG genre is my go-to and and probably always will be and I guess that comes from like being a writer myself and always sort of being obsessed with stories and just storytelling and I feel like RPGs the genre itself just lends to being able to tell good stories 
Um, so do you, do you like open world games? I do. My, my personal game of the year last year was horizon. So I definitely do. Oh, fantastic. Uh, do you, do you think horizon did the best job of balancing solid narrative with open world? I think, yeah. And I think, well, I don't know. Near Automata did a really good job of it too. Okay, see, because, I've got to play. I've got to play Near Automata. I've got to play. Yeah, that. I think what they both do successfully is make the side quests um, part of the story. They develop. They they work towards world building, and I think that's really what open world games need to do. Because when you wander off the critical path and you go into side content, you still need to be reminded of the world and the story that you're in the middle of. Um, so I think you know side quests and you know collectibles are a good way to do that. Absolutely, because I I have had sort of a a theory for a while that there's there's sort of a sliding scale um, where narrative is on one side and open world is on the other, and unfortunately, it's really hard to balance. Like it, it, the closer you get to true open world, the harder it is to actually have a strong narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm I'm looking for those games that are able to strike that balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, near. I've got to get into Nier. Um, but you said the side quests are, are great? In Nier, they were, I mean, the side quests, some of them were some of my favorite parts, especially if you're familiar with the franchise at all. Uh, there is a one character who returns from a previous Nier game where you get to see more of his absolutely tragic story, and it had tears coming down my face. It was oh my God. amazing in a horrible way, but amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Side quests are another thing that when games do them well i i I love it so much but so many games side quests are just almost throwaway, and that's tragic to me uh, Mm -hmm. because you have like you were saying such a good opportunity to flesh out a world you know not in the main story so yeah i'm not gonna lie though sometimes the one reason why i think horizon does side quests a little bit better than near even though near story and its side quests are really good is near has too many fetch quests and i think fetch quests often get confused with you know good you know design for a side quest yeah well, um so i haven't played too much of horizon uh what what kind of quests did they did they have in there if not really fetch quests oh it's been a little bit too long since i did this the last time i got into it was when the frozen wilds came out ooh, okay. early november okay. but um there was the i they're not exactly side quests, but the hunting grounds were really good challenges. I really enjoyed those, um, where they test, like they're different, they're basically weapons challenges, um, different combat scenarios where you have to get through those. Um, and then the frozen wilds DLC in general had, um, you know, like you had to go and hunt these really, really, really tough machines. Um, that entire area was absolutely brutal. Um, there are some fetch quest E type things, but I think if I remember correct, correctly, I already had a lot of the materials just from hunting down machines on my way through the open world, which was nice. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that's good. That's always good. Um, and I feel like JRPGs in general tend, at least the ones that I've been playing recently, cause I've, I've sort of ventured into the realm of, lower tier jrpgs and man those side quests are just brutal and Mm -hmm. the fact that they offer no narrative reward like there's there's nothing of substance there and then it literally is just uh oh go get me 
three bear skins or something, you know? And yep. yeah, so. And they can take like an hour to find. No, um, one thing I also just remembered about Horizon's side quest, the more quests you clear, the more people will show up to help you at the end of the game at the final boss, which I thought was really cool. Oh, that that is excellent. Um, because I've, I've actually been playing uh, through Nina Kuni 2, mm. and um, what I do like about that is the side quests in there, because you bring up a great point with that, is that the side quests actively contributes to something to do with the main quest, and that's the, sort of the same thing with Nina Kuni, is like every side quest, part of the reward is adding to sort of like your main quest objective, so... Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So the first article that I read of yours um, was your piece about turn-based RPGs not being dead. Um, what inspired you to write that? Sort of where were you coming from? Uh, can you give me some background on what led you putting that into the internet land? Yeah, sure. Um, there's a couple different things. Uh, one of them was, uh, so that Final Fantasy YouTuber I mentioned earlier, his name's Final Fantasy Peasant. Um, he had put out a video back in December uh, talking kind of about the same subject, about why, you you know, turn-based is possibly still a viable option for future Final Fantasy games. And that kind of just encouraged me, because this is something I'd been thinking about since playing 15 last year. Um and it just encouraged me because it's like, oh, it's okay to, you know, talk about turn-based. People aren't going to shoot you down. It's still, a, you know, a conversation that can be had and, you know, people will want to participate in it um, in a positive way. Um, and then the other main factor um, was, to be quite honest, I was um, about to start playing Persona 5. So I had the idea for the article before playing Persona 5, um, but I decided to wait to write it till after I had played through it because it was in my mind, the best example of a modern turn-based system that seemed to be resonating with a popular audience. Um, so after playing through Persona 5, which I really, really thoroughly enjoyed, um, it just, you know, it gave me even more hope that, you know, turn-based is still a conversation to be had. It's not completely dead. Um, you know, the whole argument about press X to win, uh, there's ways around it. Um, there's things that you can do to make the games more engaging, you know, maybe get people pressing more than one button, uh, have quick time events, all these different types of things, um, where you kind of make a hybrid cross between active, uh, combat and turn-based combat, um, that really lets you, you know, put those traditional JRPG roots back on display, um, you know, so long as it's couched in a really strong story and a world that people can get into and understand. And do you think that's what really propelled uh, Persona 5 into, I guess, sort of like the mainstream was was the characters and, and the story? I think it is. Um, I mean, uh, the it might not be the first thing that's caught people's eyes. Like the art style is really, really eye-catching. Um, you know, uh, social media buzz about the game might have, you know, drawn some others into it. Uh, turn-based might be a turnoff for a lot of people, but they might have said, hey, I'll give this game a try. I've heard amazing things about, you know, the story gets wild and crazy. Um, and you get to, you know, you know, uh, do almost like a relationship simulator and stuff like that. You can get to know these characters on a more granular level than a lot of other games will let you do. Uh, so you mentioned playing... 15 well what what is sort of your opinion on that game 
my opinion in 2016 is very different than my opinion in 2018 of Final Fantasy 15. Um, I was not entirely against it being open world. I wasn't entirely against the loss of turn-based. I wasn't that happy about it at first, but I played it, and I actually had a lot of fun with the game. There was a couple problems, though. Like, I never once died in Final Fantasy XV. It was, it was hard to die, like, because you get that... You lose all your health, and then you can still heal yourself type mm. of deal. Um the the world was really big it was the first time i think that i'd gotten into such a big open world game the map was absolutely massive i think the only one that i've seen that's actually bigger than that might be assassin's creed origins um and you know i wanted to get to know these characters i'd watched the persona 5 uh another persona 5 the uh, final fantasy 15 brotherhood anime i watched the kingsglaive movie which was really cool um but then i got into it and the story just didn't seem complete. And I understand that originally as Versus 13, you know, this game was planned to possibly be like a trilogy. The gods were going to play a completely different role than what they ended up playing. You know, Luna Freya was a completely different character named Stella who maybe died very early in the game. I don't know. Um... It, you can see the bones of a classic Final Fantasy in it, but it just got kind of lost in this attempt to be something Western, uh, you know, that, you know, story light, open world, action combat. It tried to be something that Final Fantasy has never been before, and it just didn't quite have the right direction it, it, it you know it passed between two different directors it went through years and years and years of development and now the story isn't even done yet we've got a whole nother season of dlc coming next year this game yeah. came out two and a half years between then and you know the the, the next dlc chapters and the there's been patches where they change the way certain characters look like um if it, uh, his the god looks different now, so it's more obvious that he's affected by Star Scourge. It almost seems like they're retconning the end of the game, and I kind of wish they would just step away from the game, leave it be for what the project became, like you know, a sort of fun uh, open world action game that you know maybe Final Fantasy fans can enjoy, or maybe not Final Fantasy fans can enjoy, and move on to the next project, whether that be FF16 or something else. Do you feel like Final Fantasy has an identity problem at this point? I yes, I think especially since like the whole 13 crisis, um, they've been trying to backtrack almost and trying to find something that'll that'll appeal to the audience. But for some reason, they're not going back to the traditional, you know, like back to the days of seven, eight, nine, ten that really seemed to jive, you know, across the East and the West. Um, they just keep trying to find new things that just aren't quite working. Um, you know, FF12 has been criticized because it didn't have a strong protagonist who seemed to really shape the story. Um, 13 was obviously criticized for its very narrow linearity as opposed to FF10's wider linearity. Um, and I'm actually playing FF13 right now, and you don't have a full party for the first seven chapters of the game. You're always with, like, two characters, and you're jumping between different storylines, so you don't get to know either your protagonist very well or your party very well. Um, I have not played um, 11 or 14. I, I've never played any of the MMOs, although I might someday. And then, of course, with 15, that game went through development hell and a half, so... 
I, I, I totally agree. Cause I, I've been, I've been thinking about this and this is sort of, uh, I'm thinking about writing an article, um, sort of on this topic of, I, I, I'm not sure if it's a square identity problem or a final fantasy identity problem. Um, and I say that because there are things that square is doing that, I'm on board with. I, I like some of the, the projects that they've got going. But when it comes to Final Fantasy, I just I love that franchise so much. And so it's hard for me to admit it, but I, I really do think it's got an identity problem. It doesn't know what it wants to be and it doesn't really know who it wants to service. Doesn't want to service an Eastern audience or a Western audience. And when they service the Western audience, is it the the classic Western audience that love seven, eight, nine, or a newer, younger audience that wants action and, and, and all this. So like, I, I feel like you, you said that they had, they're having trouble sort of finding, you know, sort of a, a foundation or a base. And it's like, they, they, they can't decide on anything. They can't decide on what, what makes final fantasy great. It's like, they don't know what it is. And mm-hmm. even, because like if you if you take I mean obviously fifteen right so it's like action so oh Final Fantasy is an action game now well now that they're remaking seven they make seven an action combat system and so like is that what Final Fantasy wants to be now and it doesn't seem like that's what fans want so I I don't know I'm I'm kind of I don't know I'm kind of down you know because of of, of the way things are at the moment yeah. I don't know. And I always wonder, you know, is it how much of it's the directors, how much of it's, you know, the development team? Because, you know, like with Seven at one point, they had a lot of external developers. How much of it is coming from the publishing label? Uh, You know, what pressures is Square putting on its, you know, directors, you know, whether it be Tabata, Nomura, whoever. Um, I just, I mean, we don't have that insight. And that's another problem is getting information. via translations either the translation isn't there or you can't be sure it's accurate whenever there's a news release or you know even translations of games have been shoddy in the past um it's just you know i'm definitely still day one going to be buying the ff7 remake oh absolutely Um, (laughs) absolutely even if it comes out in multiple episodes on like the ps6 it's still gonna happen um but would I like to see 16 get back to... So I think it just needs to, you know, realize... And I was thinking about writing an article on this subject, too. Linearity doesn't have to be a bad word. It doesn't have to be a bad word. Turn-based doesn't have to be a taboo, either. Persona 5 proved that. Persona 5, you know, it's not an open-world game. I would not call it an open-world game. It's maybe not the most linear game, but, I mean, it's got very linear assets to it. I mean, you can't really, you know, change the story. You can go off and do side content, but you can go off and do side content in FF10 as well. You know? Like I said, with collecting the weapons and stuff like that and going after the um, the optional Aeons. You know, it's just, they need to get back to having a strong protagonist, a strong cast of characters, and a story that makes sense. I think that's part of the problem I'm having with playing FF13 right now. I had to sit there and read so much of the data logs just to understand what was happening. Like, I couldn't understand, why are the Lassie bad? You know, why is Pulse bad? You know, who's in charge of this army we're fighting? Why are the people afraid of us? What have we done to them? Uh, it's just, you know, telegraphing, you know, 
this is the villain in a very traditional way, but it doesn't have to be stale and boring. It just needs to make sense in a way. And they, I feel like they've kind of forgotten how to do that and they don't trust themselves to, you know, do the tried and true method. They're still trying to push boundaries. And you know what? Everybody is. And I think they're pushing some of the wrong boundaries. Like, FF15 is by far the biggest game on my PlayStation right now. Without, I don't even have Comrades downloaded. Without that and without next year's round of DLC, it already takes up like 80 gigs of memory. Um, and this, the loading screens are impossible. It pushes the PS4 beyond its limits, and I really don't think it needs to, you know? You, graphics aren't everything, you oh, know? Oh, okay. Yep. That's, uh, <laughs> yep. Okay, so I was... That was coming out of my mouth because uh, yep. here, here, here's my philosophy. Um, look, I love, I love pretty graphics. I do, but, but and, okay, because like I, I use Horizon, and I, like I said, I haven't finished Horizon. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, but I use Horizon as sort of like the hey, I do like a pretty game. I really respect Horizon, uh, Witcher Three. I think it's a gorgeous game, but when graphics become either like your number one focus as a developer or like that is your thing is, Oh, we push the most beautiful graphics. Yeah. But what about the game? Is the game fun? Is the story good? I would much rather have graphics pulled back just a little. If it means that I can have a story that makes sense with characters that are compelling and gameplay. That's fun. Yep. Yep. Like for example, persona five, the character models, not the 2d, um, like, uh, talking animations that you get when somebody's got dialogue. I mean, the, you know, the character models that you see walking around in the world, they're, the graphics are not phenomenal. Uh, you know, a lot of the NPCs barely have faces. Uh, but I really didn't care. I absolutely didn't care because the game was fun. Um, and then some of my favorite games, like one of my favorite games last year was an indie game that was, a lot of it was like hand-drawn and it's... I, games can be beautiful without being like running in 4K super sampling mode. Looks like real life stuff. Like there's, uh, there's just so I want a story. I want a fun game that's challenging and you know is gonna kick my butt a few hundred times before I finish it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Like, um, in fact, I I'm playing uh, Super Dur- Deluxe right now, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, I mean, look, that's hand-drawn. It was made by a couple guys. But honestly, like, the writing and the storytelling in that is so far superior than so many other things that I've been playing recently. I just wish that... And I don't think fans would revolt against it. Like, if Square would just take a step back and, 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 and and, and not make something that is completely graphics, but focus on story... I would totally, I would totally buy day one a square-made product that was sort of vintage. Uh, and it could be three D. It doesn't have to be like going back to their like sixteen bit. But I mean, something that's, you know, like PS one era. I mean, I would totally buy that just to get a game with a good story and good characters, mm-hmm. and that runs well. Yep, agreed. Um, so what was, what was the game, what was the hand-drawn game that you were talking about from last year? Oh, I don't think it was entirely hand-drawn, but some of it was. It's called Pyre by Supergiant Games. Um, it was the third game out of that studio. They're an indie studio. They, they made Bastion and Transistor. 
Um, and I've actually got an article in the queue right now up on Obelisk. should be coming out within the next week um, about Bastion. Um, and I actually wrote one about Pyre already. It's it's an absolutely gorgeous game with an absolutely gorgeous soundtrack um, that is part visual novel, part RPG, part sports game that's like basketball on fire with chess. Like, I have no idea how else to put it. It, it was just, you know, it's a game where choices actually matter and that those are very rare. Um, and it was just, it was so much fun and the story and the characters were so engaging. Oh, you've already sold me on it. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I actually saw because I was, I was pulling up some of your older articles, and I did see, I did see that one about Pyre. So I, I will have to go read that and then check that game out. Oh yeah, definitely recommend. All right. Um, so, what is a game? For me, it's Skyrim. I'll always come back to it. But what is a game that you find yourself always returning to? Uh, there's a couple. Uh, KH two. I probably have played all the way through like ten times. Um, and especially when I finally got the 1.5, 2.5 remaster for the PS4, um, I got to do all of those optional bosses for the first time when you can go back and fight all the fallen organization 13 members and you can fight the lingering will. Um, so I've always come back to KH2 like every couple years, I feel like. And then one game that I think I have never actually stopped playing is Super Smash Bros. Melee on GameCube. <laughs> Fantastic. Yep. Who's your who's your uh who's your go-to there? My go-to uh Fox. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Uh what's uh what are some games that you're playing right now? So, uh on my PC I'm playing FF13. Um, I'm about halfway through that one right now. Uh, PS4, I'm picking away at a couple different ones. Mostly right now I'm playing Bloodborne. Um, but if I'm being completely honest, that's going pretty slow because I am a little bit afraid of this game. Uh, it's, it's really fun. I really like that style of combat, but anything even remotely resembling a jump scare. So, you know, like there's, there'll be an enemy hiding behind a wall that's going to jump out at you or loud noises. I get very easily startled and I'll get really angry at the game. Is okay. Is that still available for PS plus? Uh, no, that ended now. It's uh, Mad Max. And stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's on sale a lot though. Like I've yeah. seen it as low as like 15 bucks. All right, yeah, because that's one that I've got. I've got to. I've got to get into. Somebody was asking me about my uh, history with Dark Souls and Bloodborne, and I've actually, I've actually not jumped into that that realm at all. So yeah, I I'm can highly pick up- recommend Neo. And everybody's like, "Yo, you can't call games Dark Souls," but Neo is a very much a Dark Souls game that came out last year, uh, where the combat is Souls inspired, um, but the world is not. But it's it adds. Um, another layer to the combat where you have different combat stances that I really liked and it's you know samurai stuff so it was really cool okay so that was Neo yeah N-I-O-H yeah yeah okay 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 yeah um and then what are a couple of games that you are most excited about coming out soon well obvious answers for me Final Fantasy 7 Remake and Kingdom Hearts 3 uh big surprise there um, but there's a couple others that have been on my radar that I'm really... So one game that I got super excited about the first time I ever saw a trailer for it is called Biomutant. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I am indeed, and I cannot wait for that either. 
Yep, so I'm looking forward to Biomutant because the story looks like highly replayable and like multiple endings type of deal. Um, and the weapon crafting system looks cool. Um, I'm also looking forward to Lost Soul Aside. I don't know if you, you know that one. Unfamiliar with that. That one, it's... So the guy was inspired by FF15 in terms... You, like The main character looks a little bit like Noctis. And um, it's like Devil May Cry, Nier Automata style hack and slash combat and you gotta like you gotta look up a trailer for this game it is absolutely mind-blowing it was originally being made by one person on ue4 um it, he's a he, i think he's from china and sony or somebody saw this game and decided to pick him up and give him a studio he's got like a studio of 10 people making this game right now and it looks absolutely mind-blowingly phenomenal and what was the title because i definitely want to look up a trailer lost soul aside Lost Soul Aside. All right. Are you excited about Octopath Traveler? I am. I think that it's like that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, and I might finally cave in and buy a Switch for myself. Oh, you don't have a Switch. I don't. I have many people pressuring me to buy a Switch. <laughs> <laughs> Including Square Enix. Yes. What is it about that game that that might actually make you buy a Switch? I. You know what? You know how you talked about, like, if, you know, Square came out with, like, you know, that old pixelated style of game that, that was FF and had a strong story? This kind of almost gets there for me. It's, you know, it, you, it's the 2D HD look is so cool. And they I know they're working on the lighting a little bit to improve that aspect of it. But, like, you've got almost, like, these 2.5D environments with your traditional, like, pixel sprites. Um, and then like the eight different characters all having their own path actions is, seems pretty cool and they're all going to have their own stories and the combat system seems super fun. I've watched a lot of, you know, um, there's actually quite a few surprisingly um, playthroughs of it on YouTube and stuff like that of people who play the demo. I'm very curious about what's going to happen with this game because, you know, we talked about Square and their identity and like this is part of the problem because this looks so good. Uh, I I don't know I don't know where they go after it comes out and if it sells really well. Like they're gonna have so many directions that they they want to go. Um, so it it's a good problem, but I I I'm I'm worried that it's gonna uh, contribute to Square's identity crisis, if you will. Yep. Yep. Uh, because you got you got this. You've got uh, the Tokyo RPG Factory putting out nostalgia games and then you've got the actual uh the actual like development team and now tabata has his, his own studio yeah and wh what are they gonna do so yeah no as good point about the tokyo rpg factory because i've played both of those games so far and i get that they're going for the nostalgia factor and i think that's really really good i think that's something that the rest of square enix could you know pay attention to um but there's a couple you know bits about those games i actually reviewed lost fear um, that, you know, don't quite, you know, they're not quite there where you're going to open it up to people who aren't going just for the nostalgia factor, because that's the, that's the tough point for Square. They have to hit their traditional fans, audience, all that, while still attracting, you know, a new audience, modern gamers, and it's t hard to find that, you know, point where everything meets in the middle of classic JRPG, but still accessible to the modern gamer who's never had to deal with, you know an old system like that. 
And uh, and something that I I kind of wonder, and and Tokyo RPG Factory is sort of adding to my theory here. If you're going to make these games that are capitalizing on nostalgia and capitalizing on like everything that Final Fantasy built and Chrono Trigger built and everything, why not just make Final Fantasy games be Final Fantasy games? And if if you want to try to bring in new people, start a new IP like. Uh, you know, if you want to capture a Western audience, make an IP that caters to a Western audience. Keep Final Fantasy what it is, because I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of people want what Final Fantasy used to be. So, yeah. Yep. It's a well, weird. that's why I'll be keeping an eye on you know Tabata's new IP or whatever that ends up being. Yeah, I'm super curious. I mean, he. I know, and I know, like 15 had some problems, but I mean, he he can put out some pretty quality stuff. I mean, for what it was, I mean, uh, type zero was, was a pretty interesting title, especially considering it was on the PSP. I mean, I feel like he got every bit out of the PSP that he could. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about what he's going to do in the future. Yeah. Well, to give him some absolute props with 15, I don't think it's physically possible for any sane person to neatly wrap up what is originally a Nomura game. You <laughs> like are totally it right. Be, it can't be easy. That is like that is like a nightmare and a half. I mean, like, okay, you're inheriting Nomura's story. Yep. Good luck with that. Do the best you can. Oh, by the <laughs> way, we're 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 rebranding it to be the new mainline final fantasy game <laughs> so yeah yep and just so you know it's all a dream <laughs> it's all a big <laughs> <Yeah. feature. laughs> that's fantastic um all right uh well michaela that actually wraps up all my questions that i have uh thank you so much for being willing to come on and uh and 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 go through go through the the grill if you will yeah no awesome this was really great thanks for having me Absolutely. And uh, if you will, uh, why don't you let listeners know where they can find you? All right. So I'm at RedXMod on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. Um, and of course, check out Obelisk. Obelisk uh, is all over Twitter. Uh, we put out articles every couple of days about a whole range of different subjects. It's not just me blathering on about RPGs. We've got everything from Overwatch to Dungeons and Dragons. So definitely check it out. And that is obelisk.co. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Michaela, once again, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, hopefully get you back on the show at some point. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Level 99 RPG Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michaela. Once again, I would like to thank her for coming onto the show and being a guest. If you would, please, please, please go follow her on Twitter and show your support. She has just amazing insight about the industry and about RPGs specifically. So go follow her on there. I've got a link to her Twitter in the show notes below. I'll also have a link to obelisk.co. Go check out that site. Amazing content being put up every single week. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at VaultRPG. If you have any questions, feel free to tweet at me. And you can also find me over at SwitchRPG.com. Thank you once again for listening. Until next episode, go game your hearts out. I'll see you around.